right. So this is a weird thing. I think I, maybe did I say this last time? All right, so if you look around today, lots of our regulars are gone. Some of you are here, hello. Uh, but a lot of people are camping. And so if you're like, I just, I thought they'd be a little more friendly. Probably the person sitting next to you is also a guest. So that happens around here. Come back again and you'll meet the other half of our church. <laughs> so um, welcome guests and really grab a gift on your way out. I picked them out. I think they're pretty cool. And um, I prayed over them for you. So when you bring that home, just know I took time when I put it together and I prayed for you. Uh, so this morning I get to start. Um, I'll introduce myself. My name is Heidi, and my husband and I uh, right now have been pastoring together here. So we take we take turns preaching, and so you get both of us. You get a man and a woman all here. So um, we have a new sermon series. If you can put that up for me. And this sermon series is something that's been percolating in me for a while, and we're calling it Beloved Community. Uh, Beloved Community was coined, I'll just start by a man named Josiah Royce, because I'm kind of taking it from him, so I didn't create it, but um, I'm not actually going to talk about his idea of Beloved Community. It was introduced to me about seven months ago at a training that I'm going through, and he talks about what, he was an American philosopher who had a deep faith, and he talked about what it looks like to actually be a loving, beloved community. And so I've just kind of had that phrase sitting in my mind and in my heart as I've been thinking and learning about community. So today we're gonna be talking about our first week in beloved community, and um, so I've been thinking about community quite a bit. And I think often when I speak, or you've probably maybe heard pastors speak in church when you talk about community, you talk specifically about right like right here, which is easy to do, right? Because we are the church. Acts is all about how we act in the church. Or you might hear community talking about how you talk about community, like where God placed you, like in your family or in your neighborhood or the, like the people where you work, that community. And I've kind of come to realize there's, a, there's another community that I think is first and foremost and I think the most important community and we don't often talk about that. And I'm gonna just, we're going to start our sermon series there. So I think that in each of us, there is a deep longing to belong. I think it runs so deep in us. We just want somewhere where we can be ourselves. I don't know if you've had this, but there is something so deeply satisfying to be invited, even to like a birthday party. Do you ever like, oh my gosh, I got invited? Like it can seem kind of funny, but I get really excited to be included, to be invited, even if I can't come, just to know that you, you invited me. Or also, can you think of a time when you know that you were heard? Like not just your words, but that person actually heard who you are. They saw who you are. There's a deep longing in you for just someone. And actually, a lot of psychologists say you only need one person. But every one of us has a deep longing to be heard and to be included, to feel like you just belong to something. You, you fit. And I think this is because at the center of the universe is a relationship. It's the Trinity. 
It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so at the very core of everything that is, is a relationship. And we were created from that relationship. That relationship created each of us. And so therefore, I long to be part of a relationship. Not only were you created from a relationship, we are created for a relationship. And I think that's why it runs so deep and why we're not satisfied until we feel like we belong in community with God and others. We were created for relationship. As I've been thinking and pondering, I, I like to play around with ideas. And I think it's curious. I've been like, I'm curious. Why did God create us if, if there was a perfect relationship that already was and is and will come? So the thing about the Trinity is always been. So why? Why would God create us if there's already a perfect relationship? It's like, did God have a longing because we're created in God's image, and we have longings, right? We have deep longings. Did God long to, to share with us? Maybe I was thinking, maybe because God's creative. God created this whole entire world. It's amazing, and we love to create because we're made from a creator, right? Each of us, it can look different. I'm not an artist, but I love to create. So maybe God just had this desire to create. I thought maybe because God's nature is loving kindness, like God couldn't help. I got so much love. I just need to share it. I would like to share it with, with you, with people. And so I, I just think it's fun to think about. Why did God create us? I think that when I was thinking about the fact, it's kind of, it's kind of a lovely thing just to let your brain think about, that there is a relationship that always, has always been and always will be, and this, this, this trinity wants to know me. And I think it's why we know at our heart that you're not alone. Like, I think, like, when we really stop and we let ourselves think, you, you know, I'm, I sometimes feel it, but I'm, you're not really alone. And I think it's why I can say to my kids, you're not alone. Remember, school's scary. Tell them as they go to school, whatever happens, God is with you. No matter what, you are not alone. And I think it's because we know that there is a being in the center of the universe. Um, I don't know, I see this in shows. I hear, I have a friend, um, she's moved away, but she would often say, can you pray to the universe for me? Do you guys have, I mean, you see it on TV, the universe, can you pray to the universe for me? Or she would say to me, well, we know that everything will work out because of the universe. And I think what it means is that even someone who is not ready to say, I believe in Jesus, like, I believe in God, knows that there is something more. I think that they know that actually there's something more that's in control of everything. And it used to kind of irk me, right? And I kind of get like, oh, I need to tell her. But then I just was like, you know, she's not ready. And I think it does mean that she knows that there's something more there and let her be. And she already knows what I think. I don't need to tell her. She knows the neighbor's a pastor. You don't need to, like, you know, rub it in. But I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll totally pray for you. What I love about thinking about this is that there is an equal relationship in the center of the universe. Through scripture, we see that God the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son are equal. They're equal. It's an equal relationship. And we're created 
from an equal relationship. Therefore, our relationships should be, ought to be equal. I want to throw out there, there is actually a teaching in the church that God the Father is above the Holy Spirit and above Jesus. But what we see in Scripture is they're equal. And do you see the trickle effect of that? Do you see the trickle effect? So if God is above, then humans can be above other humans for different reasons. So I think it's kind of fun because I think sometimes if I said to you, do you think your, your theology on the Trinity matters? And you'd be like, yeah, no, I don't think so, Heidi. But if you follow it out, it's kind of fun to play with and to see how what you believe actually affects your day-to-day, -day, how you interact with people. So here's a quote I want to share with you. At the center of the universe is a relationship. This is the most important truth I know. Daryl Johnson. So I think it's fair to say that the Trinity is a mystery. Like, we can't really explain it. Have you heard the idea of the egg? Have anybody heard the story of the egg? Not too. So we tried it. We tried to explain it. We tried to, and that's fine. Or like water, vapor, ice. They're all water. That's kind of, I think we just can't explain the Trinity. There's nothing like it. And I think that a lot of times in our culture, we try to explain things, but maybe we just need to get a little more comfortable with mystery and faith. Because actually, in this Christian faith, if you really believe, there's a lot of things that we can't prove. Resurrection, virgin birth, the Trinity, and the list goes on. And in our modern-day culture, we like to try to be able to explain everything, but if we're really honest as Christians, there's a lot of things we simply take by faith. And it's kind of freeing to not have to have all the answers. I'd like to show you, can you put up this picture? So this is a picture of the Trinity. And this is one of my favorite icons. And we don't use a lot of icons in our church nowadays. So I'll just give you a little brief. So in the church, when icons were used, people couldn't read. So you couldn't go and learn about the Bible for yourself. And so the church created pictures to teach people, like about God and how to think and how to see things. So you could look at the picture, and it would remind you, and it would teach you. And this is one of my favorite icons. And I think it was because of the way it was taught to me, and it has stayed in my head. So this is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are looking at one to the other. So this is a picture of the Godhead, and each one's like looking to the other, like they're looking around the circle, and you see that in the middle of the circle, it's empty. And that's on purpose, because that's for you, and that's for me. There's a space for us with the Trinity to come and to be in relationship they're looking one to the next to the next to you and I. I'm a very visual person. I think a lot of people are. And I love to pray. And I close my eyes. And I often imagine this icon. And I see the Trinity. And I imagine myself pulling up a chair. And I sit down at the table. And I talk with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think that it's important for us to get to know each person of the Trinity. Many churches are comfortable with Jesus, 
or maybe the Holy Spirit or God the Father, or maybe you're comfortable with God the Father, but not so much the Holy Spirit, or it's very common. Think about your church history. What did you grow up with? Did you grow up with God and Jesus? Did you grow up with the Holy Spirit and Jesus? And so it's been helpful for me to remind myself that there are three persons for me to get to know and to be a part of with the Trinity. I'm going to read this passage to you. This is about the Trinity from John 17. This is Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, not uniformity, unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That could be maybe actually very confusing if you're just listening to it, huh? You're like, what a minute, you lost me there. It's saying here that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Can you get your brain around that? God loves you. You know how much God loves Jesus if you've been around the church. That's how much God loves you. I was like, wow, I can't even get my brain around that. And these passages are confusing because God is saying, I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in me, and I would like to be in you, and they can be in you, and we all can be one. You're like, what? That's, that's a lot to get your brain around. God, Jesus says here that God loves us even as much as he loves Jesus. John 17, 21, just that one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So this relationship of the Trinity says you can be with us. You're invited to be with us together. We can be one in relationship. How can we accept that? How can you believe that? How can you experience that depth of love? I'm going to read to you John 14. It explains it even more. John 14. So this is about the Holy Spirit here. This is the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides in you and he will be in you. So the Holy Spirit can live in you. And then here we go, a little bit farther down. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will not see me, this is Jesus, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, so Jesus is in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And then drop down to verse 23. Jesus says to them, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come, this is the part, and we will come, so Jesus and the Father, and make our house in them. 
I love that imagery. I feel very at home in my house. It is my safe space. My parents' home is my safe space. And the God who has been, will be, and always is says, I'd like to come and be at home in you. I'd like to come and be with you. That's how close I want to be. I want to come and take up space. I want to be at home in you. So theologians and poets, this is how they kind of describe the Trinity, and I think it makes a lot of sense. They say it's like a dance. It's like a dance. Like the Spirit and the Son and God are like weaving in and out of one another. And if you're like, I don't get that. So try, try. I'm going to tell you this story and see if this helps. So maybe... Have you ever been to a wedding or have you ever seen people who are very old and who have been together for decades, like decades dance together? Have you ever seen them and they look like they just go together and they belong? Last fall, Jamie and I were able to go to the Blue Ridge Mountains and we went to this little community called Floyd. And Floyd has this amazing tradition that's been going decades and decades and decades. And every Friday night, the mercantile grocery store turns into a dance hall. And they push back all the chairs and all the locals come forward and they dance for hours. And in the Blue Ridge Mountain, they have their own style of music. It's like kind of like bluegrass, it's not really bluegrass. They have their own style of music and they don't have their own kind of dancing. It's a little bit like clogging, it's a little bit like country and it's a little bit like I have no idea what you're doing and I couldn't do it if I wanted to. And it's beautiful. And we saw people, couples dancing who were probably in their 70s and 80s and they have been doing this style of dancing together. They have been doing this dancing since they were teenagers and it was beautiful. They didn't even have to look at the person they were. They were. It was like they were one. It's like they could feel what the other person was doing. There was one couple. I couldn't take my eyes off of them. They were a little bit short. They were very round and so cute. And I couldn't even believe that they could get their bodies to do that with how much weight they were carrying. It was mind-blowing. And they moved together. It was beautiful. And Jamie looks at me, you're crying. I'm like, this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I cried so much that night. And you just watched them moving. And it was, it was kind of what I would imagine how the Holy Spirit moves. Like one, together. It was so beautiful. I think I got distracted in my story remembering. <laughs> I wish if you ever go, please ask me and I will tell you where it is. So I want you to try a little exercise with me. And I will find it here. This is from David Benner. Some of you have had the joy of reading David Benner in this group, and some of you have not. But for those of you who have, I thought you'd find it interesting. Here it is. So take a moment. Try a simple exercise. The results will tell you a great deal about your spiritual journey. So imagine. Imagine God thinking about you. Imagine God thinking about you. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? When I ask people to do this, 
A surprising number of people say that the first thing they assume God feels is disappointment. Others assume that God feels angry. In both cases, these people are convinced that their sin, it is their sin that first catches God's attention. I think they're wrong. And I think that the consequences of such a view of God are enormous. I think that when God looks at you, he feels delight and joy. If you have kids, if you have the pleasure of having kids, they don't have to do anything. And you just look at them and you're crazy about them. Or think of a really good friend who just, because they're alive, bring you so much pleasure. Think about if the first thing you think about when God thinks about you is anger or disappointment. What a weight to carry. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. We often say here, God loves you. It is true. But God is love. He is love. He is the essence of love. That means that it is the safest place for you to be in the world is with God. It means it's okay to stand in your brokenness and let God love you because he's safe. We can stand in our brokenness and let God love us. I think it's why I love the story, one of the reasons I love the story of the prodigal. I hope you're all familiar because I'm just going to brush over it. The prodigal is a story of a young man who just made a complete mess of his life. And he was allowed, he was wanted, God wanted him to come back before he got his life together. Before he went and got a job, before he stopped drinking, before he could stop smelling bad, before, 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 he just decided, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. I've got to go back. He didn't have to do anything. He just had to go back. We don't have to do anything. We just have to go back. Listen to this beautiful passage from Isaiah. See if I can find Here it is. This is from Isaiah. This is the Old Testament. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. God says, I will not forget you. Moms typically do not forget their kids. We can't. And God says, even if a mom does, I can't forget you. You're right here. I carry you with me as I go. You're so, so close. I've got you tattooed on me. So I know that God loves me. I've heard it lots of times. Why do I sometimes forget? I don't know. Why do I need reminding? What are the barriers? So I want to look now, what are some of the things that keep me from resisting this friendship with God? And I'm going to tell you some of my things that keep me. And maybe yours are similar, and maybe you're like, no, mine's different. I think sometimes things that keep me away from believing that I can stand with God just the way I am, 
one of them is I get stuck on shoulds. I should look like this. I should act like this. I should know better. I should be better. I should, I should. Have you ever heard that? It's kind of a little bit of an excuse to cut. I should all over myself. I know that. But it's true. We do that to ourselves. Ah, no, you got it, right? Do you, do you know the shoulds? I didn't really cuss. But you should all over yourself. I should be a better mom. I shouldn't be still struggling with this. I've been, I should. And so I can't come to God and tell. I have responsibilities. I'm kind of an important person. I've got a house to run. I got things to do. I don't have time to be in relationship with God like like he's inviting me to. Sometimes I just have a hard time just sitting down and just being. Here's another one I think. It's I'm calling it Protestant penance. So in the Catholic Church, I think this is kind of beautiful. I, I've never practiced it, so I can't really say I like it. I, but I think I like I think I like the idea of going to a confessional and saying your stuff and getting it off your chest and leaving. And you might be surprised how many people in this room or in this church over the years have said, have said to me, I wish I could do that with you. I wish I could just come and tell you all my things. And then I, you know, like there's something about saying it out loud. And, I, and this is why I tell people, well, I'm really sorry, but I'm not trained in that. I think you need certain training. And I want to tell you one very wise older lady in this church just started telling me anyways. She just started in on her list. I'm like, okay, I guess you're going to do this no matter what I'm in the mood for. And it was really beautiful. It was super beautiful, and it was super powerful, and I love her and respect her for it. She's kind of like, this is what I need from you, and you're my pastor, so here we go. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I think in the Protestant church, we don't have a way to confess like the really, the secret things that you're like, oh my gosh, if anybody knew, they'd freak out. Those things that go on in your head or you're like, I don't even know why I was thinking that. That doesn't seem like who I am. There's a place to share those and to be free. So I think what we do is we try, in Protestant churches, have you heard of the Protestant word? We work hard. Try harder. If I just work a little harder, if I just try a little harder, and I wrote something about this is what I think about it. Where did I write that? Ah, uh, Okay. This is what I think about that. If I do these things, I'll be okay. And we know it doesn't work. That's what I wrote about that. If I do this, this should work, but it doesn't. You do not have to change for God to love you. Here's a quote. To believe and consent to be loved while unworthy is the greatest secret to believe and consent to be loved while unworthy is the greatest secret. Can you get your brain around this? Be grateful for your sins. They are carriers of grace. Be grateful for your sins. They are carriers of grace. Oh, blessed fault. The most difficult thing in believing is to accept that I am the object of God's delight. First John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We can repent because we are in relationship with God. Maybe instead of being stuck in our sin, 
we could try imagining we're holding Jesus' hand. And he's holding your hand, and he's saying, what are we going to do about this? What do you think we ought to do about this? If you look at the Bible and you watch how Jesus responds to sinful people, he was very kind and gracious. Read the Gospels. Write that down. Read the Gospels and pay attention. How did Jesus treat sinful people? It was amazing. It was amazing. He was so open to them. I think a lot of times you think, I got to get this, name your this, under control, and then I can come to God. I got to get my rage. I got to get my addiction. I got to get off that pornography. I got to get off this. I got to, and then, then I can come be a part of this community. Then I can go back to God. And God is just saying, let's do this together. You don't have to do that. I never asked that of you. I think one of the most beautiful stories of this is Brennan Manning. It's, it's, his life is so powerful. Have you heard of the Ragamuffin Gospel? I highly recommend it. It's super re readable, super readable. And it will, it moved me so much. And then his memoir is All His Grace. So this is Brendan Manning's story in a nutshell. Brendan Manning was an alcoholic his entire life. Like that's when you're an alcoholic, his entire life. He was also a Catholic priest. He was extremely dynamic speaker, like so charismatic. He would speak and he would pack places out. He would fill, fill them, like just thousands of people would come hear him speak. And then he would go to his room and drink himself into oblivion. And then he would do it again. And he would do it again. And he would do it again. And then he got some help. And he went to rehab and he got cleaned up. And then he actually met a woman that he loved. And he decided, I'm going to leave the priesthood and I'm going to marry her. And he married her and they had a few happy years together. And then he succumbed to alcoholism again. And it destroyed his marriage. And so he was a divorced. All through his life, he struggled with being an alcoholic. And he never stopped going to Jesus. He never stopped. As I read it, I kept being like, now? Now are you going to be done? Now are you never going to go back? Now is your marriage going to work all the way through the stinking story? And he died, a complete alcoholic. And I think why his writing is so powerful and it messed with me so much is because I wanted the victory I wanted the victory to be that he would not, that he could stay married. I wanted the victory for him to be that he wouldn't be succumbed to alcoholism anymore. I don't actually even know what the victory was. Maybe the victory was through it all, he hung on to God no matter what. And when you read his story, when I read his story, I thought, if there's space for him, then, then I too. There's space for me. Right? If there's space for Brendan Manning, then there's space for us. And I also saw that if someone struggled so deeply, his spirituality was actually amazingly profound. And he knew that all is grace. You and I might say, oh, it's all grace. Like, oh, blessed fault. 
He lived it in his bones every single day. He knew in a way, I hope I never really have to know, that all is grace. All is grace. I'm going to read something to you slow so you can, you can listen as I go. This is from J.I. Packer. There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic. It's based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me. He already knows everything. In the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Nothing is so fundamental to the Christian journey as knowing and feeling that we are loved. Nothing. Nothing. This means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. For the full extent of God's love was shown to us while we were still God's enemies. God loves us. We cannot earn his love. We cannot manipulate things to make God love us more or in any way make ourselves more lovable. Can you believe that? There is nothing you can do to make yourself more lovable to God. Nothing can make this love increase. You are already loved. I am already loved to the full. You don't have to be an amazing human being. You don't have to be an amazing friend. You don't have to make the right choices. I don't have to be the perfect mom or wife or friend. I'm already loved to the full extent. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, I pray for you. I pray that you here, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. I want to share with you um, a spiritual practice that I've been practicing. Um, one of the ladies I'm in a spiritual formation program taught me this seven months ago. And it's been very... Um, I'm at a loss of words. It's been very, uh, hmm. let me tell you what it is and maybe you'll know. So her name is Rita and she taught us this and it goes directly with John 14. So this is a way she prays and she shared with us. So she says, I, when I pray, this is how I often pray, I close my eyes and I imagine myself and I imagine the space inside myself. And I imagine that the Trinity wants to come and live in me, wants to come and be with me. And inside of me are lots of rooms. 
And she said, I try to let the Trinity go wherever the Trinity wants. Um, I do know, she said, there's people that have rooms that they're like, I can't let you in right there right now. But I try to be open and say, you can go wherever you want. You have full reign in this house. Come make yourself at home. And she imagines a room. There's one room in this house. It's her favorite room. And in this room, there are bookcases. Mine also, but I love to read. There's bookcases lining the walls. There's a big, beautiful fire. There's a fire in there. And there are four chairs in this room. And they are so comfortable. Imagine your chairs. I think mine are leather. And she sits there. There's one for her. There's one for the Holy Spirit. There's one for God. And there's one for Jesus. And in this room, there's these huge windows that cover one entire wall. And you're looking out at the mountains. And it's so beautiful. It's kind of like one of those rooms where you imagine, like, inside, but you're outside. You can feel everything from the outside while you're still inside. And she sits in there. And she spends time with the Trinity in relationship. And so I've been practicing this. And I just imagined myself there with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus. And I just spend time. And I've actually been learning to spend time in silence, just sitting there, just for the pure delight of being together. Not to fix anything, not to ask for anything, not any words. We use so many words in our culture just to sit and be with God. A space to remember that God delights just with being with me. And I wanted to share that with you and invite you to maybe try praying like that. I think I feel at home and safe and known and loved. Um, so I'd like to invite you to, to try that with me. So the first sermon here for the first sermon was the community of the Trinity and how we are invited to be a part of that. Jamie's preaching next week and he already has his idea and he's been preparing that. And then the week after I wanted to tell you this, we have a treat. Stephen, I can't ever say his name right. He is our dear friend from Nigeria is going to come and speak on community. He I urge you to come because he is going to come and speak on community from a Nigerian perspective. And it's very different. We're very Western. We're very individualized. And he sees things so vastly different than we do. And he challenges us. And I remember he was in my Bible study, with Bible study with me for years. And he said to me, you're all so lonely and you don't even know it. He's like, I've never seen people so lonely. Why do you guys do it this way? I was like, um, I think we don't know any different. So I invite you. He is quite, quite gifted preacher. And I'm really glad he's coming. So I invite you, keep coming. Come next week, hear from Pastor Jamie and then Stephen. And um, I'm hoping to get back to where this beloved community idea came from in the first place. But before I leave all that, um, I want, and before Andrew comes, I'm very excited to have you come and lead us in a song to end with. Um, 
Sarah said it good to well today. When we sing the songs here, it's like enough. Oh, now she said it well, and I don't know. When we're worshiping, it's like you're engaged enough that you can hear God. Like you can kind of like let yourself drift a little bit, like you're focusing on the words, but it's enough that you can hear from God in a way that's difficult with just me speaking or music's different. Um, so I want you to be quiet for a minute or two. And if that's unique for you, um, give it a try. Just give it a try. It's just about making space to listen to God. It's about me being quiet long enough that you can hear what God wants to say to you. So if there's something today that Holy Spirit spoke to you, you're like, I need, I want to remember this. I, I need to remember this. I want to give you space to hear from the Holy Spirit. So with the kiddos running around, I'm going to be quiet. 